This is Mike Bartolomeo, pastor of Church for the Harvest in Alexandria, Minnesota. The Bible is the Word of God. Within its pages are revealed God's perfect will and plan for mankind, the answers to life's hardest questions, and instructions on how to live a victorious Christian life. I believe the following message can change your life if you will let it. Join us now as we share the Word of God today. Lord, I humble myself before you, and Lord, I ask that you speak through me. Give to your people what they need here this morning. Lord, we bless uh, uh, the church members and all those that have come here this morning and, and those that have come to honor you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you about uh, a word that Jesus said in one of the last seven words, and maybe you maybe heard this before, it's this word, it is finished while he was hung on the cross. You know, the resurrection of Christ Jesus is not only good news, it is the best news imaginable. Really, it's the best news you could ever hear in this life. Because really, without Christ walking this walk in, in this life is is actually pretty boring. <laughs> Especially if you think about the future and what does that hold after you die and you have no idea. But for the Christian, for the one that knows Christ, that, is, that has that assurance of salvation, wow, a hope we have. Amen. My text is John 19.30. John 19.30. Getting a little echo here. No, uh, back there in the sound. John 19.30, thank you. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. You know, I think of the signs of our times. If you don't think we live in a season of spiritual ignorance, um, there was a, a leadership magazine that had this little article about a Denver woman that told her pastor of a recent experience that she felt indicative of the times in which we live in. She was in a jewelry store and looking for a necklace and said to the clerk, I'd like a gold cross. And the man behind the counter looked over the stock in the display case and he said, do you want a plain one or one with a little man on it? Did we get that? Are you with me? Come on. Jesus was not the little man on the cross, all right? He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the savior. Can I get an amen? And there, so, so back to our text. God does not want us ignorant about the resurrection. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning briefly. John 19, 30, Jesus said, it is finished. Now, let me just give you a little background on the setting, a little history here. Jesus has been on the cross for about three hours. He has real physical thirst. And he cries out in uh, verses 28 to 29, I, uh, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. And you know what? In the natural, he was thirsty, but Jesus had a spiritual hunger, a thirst for you and I. He saw us while he was on the cross. He saw the hundreds of millions that would come to saving knowledge. And, 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 and he, so he had a spiritual thirst for the salvation of the souls of mankind. So the Bible says that the soldiers gave him sour wine to drink and pressed it to his lips. And just I share this on Friday that it's not to be confused with the vinegar that was mixed with gall. Um, that was offered to him earlier that he rejected. And the reason he rejected that, because uh, tradition tells us that respected women of Jerusalem, they provided this kind of 
narcotic drink, if you could say it the way, those that were condemned to die, and it actually decreased their sensitivity to excruciating pain. Jesus didn't drink that. What does that tell us? He resisted that. He took the full pain of the cross, 110%. The second drink they would offer was one uh, uh, just to actually uh, to quench thirst, but it actually would prolong your suffering. So most criminals, uh, they wouldn't take that. Jesus drank that. Wow. He took the full brunt of our sin on the cross. So back John 19, 30, Jesus cries out. He said, it's finished. And then the Bible says that he, he bows his head and, and he gave up the ghost, the Bible says. I want, I want to show you that this wasn't just this helpless dropping of his head after death, but it was a deliberate, watch this, a deliberate putting of his head in a position of rest. Then he gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. <clears throat> what does that tell us? Jesus' death was voluntary. He didn't have to die. He didn't have to. He wasn't a helpless victim there that they took out. Some of you that may be like, oh, he, they killed him and he had no power. No, he had absolute power. To bring in, the Bible says, a host from heaven to wipe them all out. He didn't do that. He was the king of kings and the Lord of lords, but he knew. He went to the cross willingly. So when he cried out from the cross, it is finished. Uh, it wasn't this announcement, hey, that my mission has failed. Or, it was a cry of victory that is overcome. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. You know, John wrote in his gospel uh, this word, it is finished, and, and he wrote it in Greek, and those last words were actually one word, and it actually is pronounced tetelestai in, in Greek, and actually is a powerful meaning, and I just want to uh, just touch on that briefly before I wanna, what I want to get into, and so whoever was there when they heard Jesus say, it is finished, they understood. To us, when we hear that, we kind of, all right, he's done, he, he finished kind of that suffering part, and but they comprehended at the time when he said that and stood back and wondered, what did that all mean? Because they understood what those words meant, or that phrase. And whether it was a, a young person, a child, or, uh, uh, or, or, or adult, it doesn't matter that when they heard that, that meant something. Let me explain. This word, this expression, it is finished, was well known to them. It was part of their everyday language. When a servant had completed a difficult job his master given him to do, he would say to the master, to Telestai, it is finished. I've done that. I have overcome all the difficulties. I have done the job to the best of my ability. When, a Jewish when the Jewish people would uh, go into the temple with their sacrifices, the high priest would examine what was brought. And most likely he didn't speak in, in Greek, but in Hebrew, but he would use the Hebrew equivalent of tetelestai, meaning your offering is acceptable, it's perfect. That's what he would say. When a merchant in the marketplace made a sale and the money was handed over, he would say tetelestai, meaning the deal is finished, it's complete. The price had been paid in full, I am satisfied. Wow. When an artist had finished a painting or a sculpture, he would stand back and say, Tetelestai, it is finished, it's complete. <clears throat> There's nothing more that can be done. <clears throat> nothing that can make this piece of art any better. This painting is complete. Wow. 
When a boy recited to his father a difficult passage he had learned from the scriptures, or a girl showed her mother the bread that she had baked for the family, they would say, to Telestai. And the parents responded with, well done, my child. I'm very proud of you. How many see there's more to this phrase right here than just, it is finished? Amen. So when Jesus spoke his final words, he wasn't just saying, this is the end of me. This is it. My enemies have won. I'm defeated. Hope you all can make it down there and died. Good luck. No, he was shouting victory. What the enemy meant for evil, he turned it around for our good. And the enemy goes, oh my God, I killed the son of God. Now that provided salvation for all mankind. Wow. To tell us die, it is good. It is finished. Somebody shout amen. amen. That's good news. So all those around, they understood what Jesus was saying. He had finished the task. He had canceled all debt. Do you know what that means, canceling debt? You know what causes people to prematurely age is sin. Sin has effect on our life. And, and, and the pain and the guilt of sin. And people try to drown that out so many ways. But, but, but when we come to Christ, Jesus cancels our debt. Did you hear that? Everything in the past that you have done, Jesus wipes it clean. Wow. That's good news. That's good news. Amen? And so he cries out, it is finished. His sacrifice had been a perfect one. He willingly went to the cross for you and I and untold hundreds of millions of others. For every person on this planet that would call upon him, he would forgive them. See, we have a choice in salvation. And, you know, I've shared this before. There's a teaching up here in the upper Midwest, and there's wonderful good people, and, and they kind of have the phrase of, hey, we're all God's people. You know, we're all God's children. And, and, but, but there's not this deep relationship. There's not this understanding of the Savior. And, and it's kind of, that's the man upstairs, you know, and, uh, you know, he's busy today. He might hear my prayer or not. No, Christ wants to live within you. But you, watch this, Here's, this, is, this is golden. You have to welcome him in. You have to say, come into my life. Not just walk around going, he's up there and pray to him now and then. You have to be converted. That's what the Bible talks about. It's a very important term. It's huge. Because many of us just kind of, well, you know, you know, I heard about it in Sunday school and grew up. I don't know. I don't know about that Jesus thing. I don't You've never been converted. When you are, you know. I said, when you are, you know. That was a great time for the Christians to shout amen <laughs> in this Holy Ghost church. Amen. Let me just quickly just hit on a few things here. There's many more. But when Jesus said it's finished, what does that mean? What does it mean? It means the fulfillment of all scripture in 1 Peter 3.18. What does that mean? Jesus fulfilled hundreds of passages of scripture. The odds of that happening are trillions to trillions to one. It's an impossibility for you to be able. And they've actually, you know, those into numbers and go, okay, there's certain things. I mean, by the time they get up to 12, it's beyond. And Jesus fulfilled hundreds. Nobody, no human could do that. Speak of, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. This is going to happen to me and I'm going to say this. And he fulfilled all of that. Supernatural. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Hundreds of prophecies and scriptures were fulfilled at that moment. What else? 
The second thing, the defeat of Satan. Somebody say amen. You know, Satan is a cruel taskmaster. His goal is to kill, watch this now, to kill, steal, and destroy. That is what his best is for mankind. So if there's any killing, stealing, or destroying in your life, that's what the enemy is involved in. It's not God. Sorry to burst your bubble, but it's not God. Killing, stealing, destroying is the work of the enemy. Think about that. That's a, that's a selah. Pause and think about that moment. <clears throat> Bible says in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, Insomuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through the death he might destroy him who had the power of death. And it goes on to say who that was. That is the devil. And the devil had the power of death. Now, we all are going to die someday. But see, we don't have to be condemned to hell. We can have eternal life. And Jesus brought that freedom in our life. And, 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 and who, is, who the scripture goes on to say in their lifetime they were subject to bondage. Watch this. The Christian walk is a walk of victory. At times there is warfare. I don't like to talk a lot about the devil because sometimes, you know, some Christians, you know, they focus on how big the devil is in your life. And you know what? He is a factor. And they say, well, you know, he's been, you know, de-gummed at the cross. That's true. But uh, if you give your flesh over to the enemy, he has power in your life. And that can be destructive. So I don't want to minimize that. But he is a defeated foe. He is a defeated foe. The defeat of Satan. See, here's the thing. On the cross, Jesus defeated the devil. It was a, well, hello. Wake up, pastor. Look at all this that's going on in the planet. All this pain. All this suffering. All this agony. Absolutely. Do we need police officers in our community? Why? Because they are to do what? Enforce the law. Christians, we are to enforce the victory. That may be different for some of you to think, like, what? Because if it's up to God, He's going to do everything. No. He said, It's finished. It's accomplished. I defeated Satan, but He's rampant. Yeah, He is. I want you to defeat Him. I, I want you to. I want to flow through you to defeat the enemy. He's ultimately defeated, and He knows that. But He doesn't want you to grasp that. He does not want you to be one that understands and comprehends that we are to enforce the victory. Of Calvary. Legally, he was defeated, but God, so you could almost make a t-shirt up and says, I'm an enforcer. <laughs> With a cape, if you want, uh, whatever. You know, you're an enforcer. Spiritually speaking, we are. Amen? So the Christian walk, uh, Colossians 2, 14 and 15 says this, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, praise God, which was contrary to us, which is true. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having, watch this, disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. That actual phrase in the Greek means, I don't know if you've ever seen some of the old Roman movies or, uh, uh, that, that, that would, they would defeat the enemy. The Romans would bring the captive uh, enemy in front of them and they would be either in chains or tied or in cages and they would you know, parade them in front of them and they would be rejoicing and shouting and, and, the, and that captive, whether it was a king or a kingdom, would be in front and they would throw stuff at them, whatever. That's what Jesus did to the devil. He threw it back in his face. He goes, ha, I defeated you. You thought you would defeat me. I defeated you. Praise God. What does that mean? Hear me. 
You don't have to be subject to the whims of Satan. Now, if you don't know Christ and you've never invited him in, you've been converted, God help you. You have no power over sin. It'll drive you. When, when, the, when the feeling comes upon you or the temptation, you just, you know, like a puppet. You'll just go because, oh, I have to do that. I just can't resist that. But Jesus said to as many as received them, to them gave he power, ability to overcome sin. And you can. You can. We don't have to live in bondage. Can I get an amen? We don't have to be oppressed or, or, or gripped with addictions. We can be free in Christ Jesus. And many times that's a process. So don't despise the process. Hear me? Some of you just feel, well, I'm still struggling with these things. That's okay. You continue to, I say this to the church, and, and, and if you fall, what? Fall forward. You just gain six foot one inch. I am six foot one inch. That's so what you kids to know. <laughs> they say you get older, you shrink, but no, I'm not. <laughs> Isn't that right? Don't fall backwards. You mess up, fall forward. Get back up. You just gained. Amen? See, you have to look at God. He's cheering for you. He's not against you. You screwed up. You messed up. Put it under the blood. Ask God to forgive you. Move forward. Had a big fight with your spouse. This is going on. This person betrayed you. That happened. This hurt. Ah, let it go. I move forward. I move forward. Man, I screwed up. I know I shouldn't have done that. I gave into that temptation. Oh, I feel so condemned. God, wash me. Cleanse me. I move forward. Some of you need to hear that. Hallelujah. Another key thing that I believe is truth is provision for bodily healing. 1 Peter 2.24. Let me just say this. I get it that not all that are prayed for are healed. That's, to me, in many ways, a mystery. But I do know that there are forces that are out there that we don't just throw our hands up. Watch me. We don't just throw our hands up and go, well, que sera, sera, whatever it's going to be is going to be. You, you know, you get a bad report. Well, good luck. We are to war a good warfare. We are to press in. We are to fight. We are to take authority over the enemy. We are to do it. And the Bible even says, having done all, stand. And I've been at that place. I've done all to stand. But I believe that there is healing. God still heals people miraculously. Still does. So if he's doing that, why can't we be the ones? Amen. To press in provision for bodily healing. Matthew 8, 17 says that, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. You know, they actually say from a medical standpoint, the 39 lashes, that there's 39 major categories of diseases, and Jesus took them all on the cross. Once again, legally, but we've got to enforce that. We have to appropriate that through faith. Hope I'm not using too big a words here for you, but 1 Peter 2.24 says, By whose stripes you were healed, every lash, every whip. And there are hundreds. I have actually a CD I made up years ago on just healing scriptures I just read through with music. And many of people, I've sent them out all throughout this throughout the country. I've sent that, that, that CD out, and people have, have, uh, have been healed just listening to those, those verses those verses, and you can have that free. We'll make them up for you. Okay, very quickly, I'm almost done. Holy Spirit power. This is powerful. Acts 1-8. Praise God. Verses 4 through 8. And being assembled together with them, he commended them not to depart from Jerusalem. Now, this is what happened. 
after Pentecost, you know, what they call Pentecost, 50 days after uh, uh, the resurrection. But wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. What is this? This is a new dimension of praise and of worship and of intimacy and of power with the Father. Ability, I like to call it, to walk in all that God has called us to become. You know, there are 600 million plus Christians who have received a subsequent experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 600 million. That isn't just six. 600 million getting close to a billion. Um, that's something to think about. When I was in the Marine Corps, one of the things as you graduated and, and, and you know, were promoted in rank, they would give you, they would entrust you with more weapons. So typically, you're, I had the old M16A1, but when you become an NCO, you can carry a sidearm. And they asked me there, I said, well, you're a corporal now, do you want a sidearm? I said, you better believe it, give me that. Why? Because how many of you know in warfare, you need everything? Amen. Isn't that right? Because this jams, you got something else to back up. That's like the baptism of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, it's another part of the arsenal. Take it, amen? Do I have to? No, you get to. Moving right along. Holy Spirit power, amen? And, and here's the thing about it, this, this Holy Spirit power. You know, people like Jack Hayford, Joyce Meyer, T.D. Jakes. I mean, there's, there's many, many national ministers that are solid, that love the Lord, are filled with the Spirit. Feel with the Spirit in that capacity. So I would just encourage you not to shut that out. Don't black that out of your Bible. It's in the Word of God, and it's in red. Somebody say amen. amen. And here, this is a great one, Ephesians 2, personal access to God. Ephesians, let me just read this passage because it's powerful. 2, verses 14 and 18, for he himself is our peace. I want you, I want you to just grasp that part again. He himself, what does that mean? Jesus is your peace. Your peace doesn't come from watching the daytime shows, uh, you know, your secular music. Can I, can I get an amen? Your, your Facebook post, you know, you may say, oh, I got so many likes today. I feel validated. Peace comes through him. Him alone. <laughs> Hallelujah. Who has made both one. He has broken down that middle wall of separation. Having abolished his flesh, the enmity, that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile. That was the heart of God. To bring to reconcile means to bring you back from the fall in the garden. We we were separated, sin separated us, but reconciliation means to bring you back. And so that is there, that has been made available, the Bible says, both to God and to one. Through the cross, it says. Through the cross, I'll get into that in a moment, by putting to death the enmity, he came and preached peace to you who are far off and those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. What does that mean? In the Old Testament, there was a high priest, we know the story, many of us, that would go and bring the sins of all the people on a spotless lamb. They offered up all these lambs and he would go into that holy place and, and, and nobody dared go in there. They actually had a rope on his ankle because maybe he did something wrong and he'd die on the spot. They'd pull him out because you couldn't get in there. It was, the, it was the holy of holies, the presence of God. And, and it was a revered 
place of God's presence, and it was scary, and it was an awe struck, and, and, and people were frightened and say, you know, you go in there, priest, for me. And, and, and when Jesus said it is finished, what happened was there was an earthquake, and the Bible says that the curtain in the temple, which was at least a foot to three feet thick, huge curtain, was split from top to bottom. How many know nobody went in there with a little buck knife went... Bam, it came down. What did that say? That holy of holies now is not just in a little square area for a priest once a year. It's for you and I to enter in. For you and I to have access to God. Personal access to God. Jesus, I need you. Well, I, I just have to, you know, go to the holy place, and, and that's the only time he's going to speak to me. No, there's something rever- there is something reverential as we come together corporately, but you know what? You could be in your car and cry out to him. He's there. He's there. You may be in a desperate situation. You may be in a tense situation. You cry out, he's there. Hallelujah. Personal access to God. Hallelujah. And it says, through the cross. It says, through the cross. And then verse, it's interesting. Excuse me, interesting. Reconciliation comes. You know, there was a gap that came between man and God because of sin. And... The Bible talks about our offenses, our disobedience, the hurt that we have caused God and others. That separated us and destroyed our relationship. And so every person born into this world, as cute and adorable as that little wonderful child is, and what a blessing, and as a miracle, still is born into sin, everyone. That's what the Bible says. And sin has a devastating effect on our relationship with God. Why? The Bible says sin separates us from God. And if we want to have any hope of going to heaven, someone had to deal with the sin issue. That's what the cross is all about. Stand with me if you would, please. Jesus died on the cross. Why? To get rid of the power of sin that condemned all mankind. Jesus' death bridged the gap, that deep gulf between God and us. But you still have a choice in the matter. What I just told you is a biblical truth. It's a fact. But unless you receive that, it goes nowhere. It goes nowhere. You know, it's a true story of a young soldier who had been condemned to death by Oliver Cromwell in the 1600s. He was a military, an English military leader and politician, and he was slated to be shot at the ringing of the curfew bell. So his fiance climbed the bell tower, and she tied herself to the clapper of the giant bell so that it would not ring. So when the bell did not ring, soldiers went up to investigate and found the girl. She was battered and bleeding from being bashed against the sides of the bell. Krama was so impressed by her love for the young man that he was pardoned. Jesus was bruised. He was bashed that we would be set free and pardoned. Wow. You know, it's a true story. Because of love, people do extraordinary things for others. It gives us a small glimpse of the love of God towards us. True story of a minister who offered his life in place of a teenage boy in Nazi Germany. And actually his offer was accepted. 
and the minister died to save the boy's life. Wow. Friends, God did all this for us. He did all this because of his love for us. I want you to see a scripture in Romans 5 as we conclude. God has shown us how much he loves us. It was while, watch this, while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. It's one thing to feel good feelings to someone that you know loves you. It's someone that hates you, you feel. Jesus went to the cross knowing that we were still sinners. And he paid that penalty. We were God's enemies, but he made us his friends through the death of his son. Hallelujah. Every head bowed, please, this morning. Friends, that's good news. That's good news. How much does God love us? Jesus died for us even though we didn't deserve it. His death has made provision that we could be reconciled to God. Problem is, is many of us, we don't grasp the magnitude of our sin and how it has separated us from God's presence. When someone says to you, salvation has been paid. God loves you. He's forgiven your debt. Sometimes people look around and scratch their head and go, okay, that's nice because I feel good to go. I don't feel like I'm a bad person and I didn't really, I've never murdered anybody, robbed any banks. I mean, that's nice, but I don't understand it. Let me just paint this picture. If you are driving through a small Minnesota community and you get your new car, rebuilt engine, eight-cylinder, poured out, new tires, stick shift, some Camaro, let's say 69 Camaro SS, great car, 69 Firebird I used to own, and you're flying through town, and the cop pulls you over. And he goes, hey, listen, I just want you to know your debt is paid. What do you think that kid's going to do? Uh, Hello, weirdo, and book it out of there. But if the same cop comes to you, she's fed through that town, and he says, you're under arrest. Why, officer? Because there was a school for deaf children, and the speed limit was 20 miles an hour, and you were doing 92 miles an hour. You're going to jail. Not only are you losing your life, but you're going to jail, and you're gonna, this car is going to be impounded. You lost everything. And you get there, and you have to step, spend the weekend, and Monday comes, you stand before the judge. And that cop's there. And he says, Judge, please give the sentence. This kid was the one. He's guilty. He was speeding. The judge makes a sentence, brings up this mallet. You're going to jail for 30 days. You got six months of community service. Plus on that, you owe a $15,000 fine. I don't have it, judge. And he bangs down on the mallet and he goes, sentence, you're going. At that moment, someone steps in and says, I'd like to pay that penalty on behalf of you. And the man, you don't know who he is, comes in and pays the 15000 goes to jail on your behalf. How many of you know that that kid would be pretty grateful at that time? See, that's the gospel message. We were condemned to hell and death. But Jesus paid the penalty. But we don't understand the magnitude of our sin. Every head bowed, please. What are we supposed to do? The Bible says it's very simple. Repent and believe the good news. Repentance means to change your mind. I'm going in one direction. God says make a 180. I'm going in another direction. That direction of change is Jesus. I gave you my life. If you're here this morning, maybe watching by television, I want to pray for you. Pray for you to be right with God. 
pray for you to be converted. If that's you, let us all pray corporately here. You're not joining this church, but you will be joining the family of God. You must be born again, the Bible says. Say to me, say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. You paid my debt. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your cleansing. I receive your salvation. Thank you, Jesus. I give you my life. I believe you died on that cross for me. Jesus, take my life today. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today in the ministry of God's Word. My prayer today is that you will experience a new revelation of who Christ is in you. Feel free to make as many copies of this message as you like. For more information about Church for the Harvest scheduled ministry times in meeting place, please visit us at churchfortheharvest.com or contact the church office at 320-759-1400. At Church for the Harvest, you belong.